Are you ready for the final message in our better series? Some of you are. That's all right. Listen, that's all right. Hey, uh, up front, I'm going to give you an upfront warning. The introduction to this message is the longest part of this message. So if I've not gotten to where you're taking notes and you're thinking, good Lord, how much longer we got? Just hang on. We'll breeze through those. But that's just a warning up front. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If not, we will bring it up on the Sky Bible. It's what Pastor Casey calls it. This year, uh, we're not doing centuries this year. And, yeah, for those that have not seen it, I hate it. Uh, and we're not laying it to rest. We're simply giving it a rest. Uh, we have so much going on uh, that, and with a new building, our goal is to, to redo centuries. And when we put moving to the new building, the new stage, the line, it really blow it out of the park. With that being said, we are doing something here. Uh, in fact, we're going to be two weeks from today. We'll be launching into a series that will carry us up to Easter called Promises, Promises. And, and I say that to say this. Everybody in this room has got someone, a friend, a co-worker, uh, someone you go to school with, family member, uh, that maybe isn't into church per se. Doesn't really, or church has given them a bad taste in their mouth. These will be the perfect opportunity for you to invite them to something that is church out of the ordinary. In fact, the last two weeks of this series, this, the Sunday before Easter and on Sunday, we are going to be blowing it up with music, with drama, with dance, spoken word, dance. Did I say dance? Yeah. Uh, uh, rap, rap. I mean, we're, we're going full, full tilt on this thing. Uh, so, and we do that. To give you, say, hey, uh, you want to come to church with me? They say, well, I don't really like church. Listen, I didn't either until I attended this place. And, and it gives you an opportunity to invite people to something different. And here's the thing. Easter is one of the two times a year where people are looking for a reason to go to church. They're just waiting for an invite. Because they'll come on Easter when they don't go any other day. Easter and Mother's Day. Because nobody wants mama mad. So they go on Easter and Mother's Day. We don't want Mama Matt or Jesus Matt. Let's move on. Oh. So with that being said, um, if you call Watts Bar Community Church your home church, this is what you would, that's my church. Those are my people. If that's you, raise your hand. Hands up in the air. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love it. Well, now here's the question. Follow up. Why are we here? When I say here, we, I mean, what's of our community church? Why are we here? Are we here just to do church a little different than others? Are we here just to put on dramas? Are we here just to have a, a really good recovery ministry? Why is what's bar community church here? Let's, let's take it a little deeper. Those that call themselves followers of Jesus, why are you here? Hold on with me. I love the enthusiasm. Are you here because the music's good and the preaching is phenomenal? You know. <laughs> so, oh, no, no, come on. 
Are you here because for an hour and a half, uh, you're going to have somebody that watches your kids for free? <laughs> Megan, that's why you're here? <laughs> Megan's like, I come to both services. <laughs> Are you here just because it's convenient? Are you here just because it's what you were brought up to do? Why? Are you here? And again, I'm talking, I'm talking to those that call themselves followers of Jesus, and you call this place home. S stay with me, because what I'm about to say to each of you is not just pastoral fluff. Like, I'm not just saying it as a motivational speaker. I am not a motivational speaker. I simply get up, try to deliver the Word of God, and hope Scripture will encourage you to change. That, that, that's simply what I do. But I'm going to say this, and I really believe what I'm about to see, say. I believe that you and I are here to do more than just take up a seat. I believe we are here to, to, to do more than just show up. I believe that every person in this room Young, old, man, woman, married, single, black, brown, white, up high on the social scale, down low, whether you got money in the bank or you're living on welfare and food stamps. I, listen, I don't just believe it, but I know you are here with a purpose. Created with a purpose. In fact, I want to make it a little clear. And maybe some of you, this is new to you. You've not heard what I'm about to say. And others, you've heard it. You just didn't do anything with it. But I believe every person here, you have a calling on your life. In fact, I want you to look at the person you're sitting beside and say, you've got a calling on your life. Listen, I, that was not convincing at all. Now I want you to look at your second choice and tell them the same thing. Okay, that's more, that's, listen, y'all are saying more than those five words right there. Here, if this is new to you, basically what I'm saying is this. It's a spiritual way of saying God has designed you, created you to do something. There's a purpose. And I know I can see some of you in your eyes. You're like, uh, PK, I'm not sure what that would be. I don't enjoy talking in front of people. I don't play an instrument or sing. I don't like kids, big or small. Um, I don't have really any really special talent. Can anybody relate to that? Come on. I, I think a lot of us can. What about this? Ever heard somebody say this? Maybe you've said it yourself. If God has something he wants me to do, I just wish he would come out and tell me what it is. Come on, ever, come on, come on, guys. Stay with me. I mean, Y'all know me. If you've been going here, the more you... Talk back to me, the shorter this will be. If y'all make me work for it, we're going to be here for a while. Of course. Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 is getting ready to tell what every follower of Jesus, what your purpose, what your call is now that you've accepted Christ. Let's check it out. 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, you're saved, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and look at this, gave 
us, who's us? Followers of Jesus. The ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. I love this. Not counting people's sins against them. Man, if we as a church could just do that. Let's move on. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now Paul is getting ready to lay it out. Look at this, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, when I talk about or teach about interpreting Scripture, the first thing I tell people, hey, you need to understand the context of what's being said. And that's why people a lot of times misquote so many Scriptures, they don't understand the context. And that involves who wrote it, uh, who was it written to, what was said before it, what was said after it. Well, the passage we just read, Paul is talking to a group of Christians that I personally believe have been doing this a long time, and they are worn out and tired. Can anybody relate? Because when Paul starts this chapter, he starts it out, uh, uh, chapter 5, like this. We know that this body is going to be destroyed, and I know you're tired and you're worn out, and honestly, you're longing to put on the new bodies and go to heaven. But he says this, that day is coming, but till it does come, you've got something to do. There, there's something for you to do. And Paul begins to remind them how God has rescued them. He reminds them, hey, God has placed you, has placed uh, this calling upon your life. Now, I want to read verse 20 again. And I've highlighted certain words. I want you to read it aloud with me with some umph. And just say the words that are highlighted. Y'all ready? Bring this up for me. Here we go. We are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. You want to know your calling? There it is. Let me ask a sincere question. Who in here? has been rescued by God. Yeah. Well, here's what Paul is saying. If you've been rescued by God, go and rescue others. Don't stand on the sidelines just thinking about how good heaven's going to be. But get involved. Get in the game. In fact, in verse 11 leading up to this, Paul says, because we understand our responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. If you're taking notes, here's what you need to understand. You were rescued to rescue. That's your calling. Plain and simple. You weren't rescued and reconciled back to God so that you could come here and just go through the motions on Sunday. You weren't reconciled and rescued so that you could sit around longing, singing, when we all get to heaven. And just, that's not what you were rescued for. You were rescued to rescue, to be part of the rescue team. Why? Because there are other people out there that are just like you used to be that need somebody to come along and point them to the hope that you now have. 
think, yeah, I just don't think I can do that. I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm not good at speaking. I'm not good at all of that. Let me give you the simplest definition of what evangelism is. Bring that up for me. Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's it. That's it. That, that's, that's, that's it in the biblical context. Just you and I talking about something or someone we love and enjoy, someone that has changed our life. Denise and I, we went to the movies Friday. And uh, Denise, uh, Kennedy called while we were in the movie. I texted her back and said, hey, we're in the movie. We got it. She said, what would you go see, Dad? I said, Ordinary Angels. And I can't, I can't recommend the movie enough. Great movie. Great, uh, and uh, say, no, I can't remember one bad word in the whole movie. Very uplifting, very encouraging. And I began to tell her how good this movie was. That's evangelism. Something that has impacted you so much. Listen, if we go, if, if, if we go to a restaurant and the food is incredible, it's normal for us to want to tell somebody where we just ate and what we had, Right? Right, right. Uh, listen, I remember going to Stony River a few years back down in, in Atlanta for the first time. Denise and I went down to Stony River. I ordered the ribs. They came out. I took one bite, and I was immediately transferred to the third heaven. Those ribs changed my life. Yeah, they were that good. I went back the next time, ordered the ribs, took pictures of them, and posted them online. I wanted people to know how good those ribs are. You know, not one person got online or face-to-face or -face and, and, and got mad at me for sharing how much I love those ribs. Not one person said, I know what you're doing. You're just trying to get me to go to Stony River. No, well, if you do, take me. Uh, no, I simply told them about something that impacted me. And I wanted them to have it. And the next time I went, somebody went with us, they ordered the ribs. And they got saved right there in that moment. No. We talk about things we really enjoy. And that, that's, listen, if you call yourself a Christian a follower of Jesus, you and I have to be willing to step outside of our comfort zones and start having conversations with people we love about someone that changed our life. If you've attended a new-to-the-bar lunch, what we're getting ready to go to uh, uh, after this, one of our core values of this church is this, found people, find people. Family, we believe that. We be, believe it's biblical, and I'll show you that in a few. But if you're like me, he did more than find me. He rescued me. I was deep in it, and he rescued me. And, and listen, this may offend some, somebody, but at this point, I'm already in there. Might as well go ahead. According to the Bible, it is impossible for someone to say they are a follower of Jesus and not be concerned with other people that need to be found by Jesus. See, as a follower of Jesus, this is not just an option. 
we must be concerned about and care about the very people that Jesus cared about. Anybody remember uh, uh, Jesus gave us this mandate was known as the great what? The great commission. You remember that? Well, somewhere along our faith journey, the church journey, it went from the great commission to the great suggestion. If you want to, if you feel like it, if it doesn't put you out any, then do it. No, Jesus said, this is the great commission. Go, make disciples. Go share what, what I've done for you. You go share it with others. And we have got to go outside these four walls and begin to do that, church. So with that being said, I want to ask you, that was my introduction. With that being said, I want to ask you four questions. Four one-word questions that I want you to ask yourself. First one is this, when? When what, PK? When did you meet Jesus? When did Jesus find you? When did you get rescued? Because you've got to be able to answer that question. Growing up in the South, this is what I know. There's so many people that, that believe because they grew up in church. Mom and daddy or granny and grandpa took them to church. That because of that, they're a Christian. But I thought, when did you personally decide? When did you personally say, you know what? I'm lost. I need Jesus. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 43. And man, I hope you take notes because I believe this has the potential to change not your life, but somebody you know and this church's life. If you're writing your Bibles or highlight on your Bible app, I'm going to give you a couple different words to underline and highlight. John 1 verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Underline these next two words. Finding Philip. Finding Philip, he said to him, underline these two, follow me. Finding Philip and follow me. Let's talk about these two phrases. First, finding Philip. Let me ask you a question. Who found who? Did Philip find Jesus or did Jesus find Philip? Jesus found Philip. Do you know why Philip didn't find Jesus? Philip wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't looking for him. He thought life was good as it was, as it is. And so, so it's, have you ever heard anybody say, maybe we've said it ourselves, yourself, I found God. And I understand what they're saying, but here's the truth. No, you didn't find God. God wasn't lost. God found you. God I want you to understand that God created the universe, came looking for you. Yeah. Oh, man, that just, that fires me up. Before Christ, the Bible says that we were lost, we were dead, and we were blind. But when he found us, we became found alive, and now we can see. So we are in Christ now because he found us, church. Uh, let's be honest, if you were like me, nobody had to tell me I was lost. I knew it. 
I know I wasn't living right. Nobody would tell me. Nobody would tell you now. Let's be fair. Some of you got an early start on being lost. You know what I mean? Some of you five years old in kindergarten, all the kids are doing crafts, and you're over in the corner sniffing Elmer's glue and eating crayons, <laughs> trying to take off Barbie's clothes. Some of us, you got an early start on it. Nobody had to tell you. But <laughs> don't get me going. Here's one of the biggest problems with growing up in church. See, I've seen a lot go, go on in church, good and bad. But the problem is, with a lot of church people, they're in church, but they're not in Christ. They grew up in church, but they never made the distinction from in church to in Christ. And there's a huge difference. See, I've talked to a lot of people and said, hey, are you a Christian? And a lot of times, here's the answer I get. Well, you know what? I'm not sure. You know, I've never asked a single person, someone that's single, hey, are you single? And they go, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. I don't know if I'm single. I've never asked a married couple, hey, you guys married? I'm not sure. Because if they give you that answer, we got to set up counseling. No, you know. You, you know those things about you. That's why it is vital that we start with the question, when did you meet and surrender to Jesus yourself? I, listen, I'm not asking when you were baptized as a baby, when you were confirmed. Uh, I'm not asking about going to VBS and getting scared into praying a prayer. I'm asking, when did you come to the realization that you were here and God was way over there and you couldn't do enough, you couldn't be good enough to, to make it over there? You needed Jesus in your life. When did that happen? When did it happen? I remember exactly where I was. I'd gone through a divorce and started running from God. Ended up in Northern California. And Watts Bar Church here, Watts Bar Church of God was toward the end of a seven-week revival. And my mom began to tell people, hey, my son's going to be home before this revival is over. I'm sitting back there right about where Bill is sitting. Bill Baker and I remember it was the last night of the revival. And that's the night I surrendered my life to Jesus. I remember where I was. I, I can't tell you the exact date, but I know where I was and when it happened. When did that happen to you? Because that's a question I would answer before you leave here today. See, I, and I'm not saying you can't get saved at an early age. I'm just asking, do you know for sure that you really met Jesus and have a relationship with him? Let's get back to the verse. Finding Philip, he, Jesus said, follow me. See, Jesus was a rabbi. Rabbis had what they called Ptolemies. And these were, they would follow the rabbi around and they would do exactly, their, their whole thing was to emulate what their teacher, what their rabbi did, how, he's, how he did things, what he said. And Philip had just become one of Jesus' Ptolemies, and he was saying, Philip, follow me, do what I do. See, the goal of any Ptolemies in that time was to become just like their rabbi, to follow him. 
Our goal as a Christian, as a Christ follower, should be to become just like Jesus. That should be our goal. Our goal is, hey, how did Jesus love people? Because I want to love people like that. How did he serve people? Because I want to serve people like that. How did he show grace? How he talked and listened to his father? How he obeyed his father even over his own will? That's where we need to be. Not, not a follower of rules, but a follower of Jesus who is pursuing him the rest of her life. See, I believe the church has created so many rules and, and added so many preconceived ideas about knowing Jesus that Jesus has kind of got hidden down there somewhere and made it really hard for people to see Jesus anymore. Maybe you're here today and you'd be like, man, I'd love to follow Jesus. I just don't think I can follow all the rules. Let me take the pressure off. You can't. And neither can I. That's exactly why we need Jesus. So again, my question to you is, when did that happen in your life? Because it's hard to be passionate about someone you've never really met. Question number two, who or what, who or what, who or what consumes you? I've told this story before, but I couldn't think of another story that better describes what I'm talking about here. Uh, a few years back when Denise and I, we lived down in the Atlanta area, uh, I would go, I was going to work out and it was a daily thing. I know Hard to tell them I don't work out daily now, but it's just kind of carried over. But back then I was, and, and I'm, not an, I'm, a, I'm a morning person now, but back then I was not a morning person. So I thought, I need something to give me that extra oomph. So I got online and began to Google, hey, what, what, what's some good pre-workout su supplements? I got on there and began to compare different ones and, and ended up ordering this product called Jacked. Because that's what I was. <laughs> and on the back, the directions clearly said, if you are new to taking this kind of supplement, you may want to take half a scoop. I'm like, I'm a man. I don't do anything halfway. So, buddy, I'll put that, I'll fill that scoop up with a little over top, put it in there, drunk that pre-workout. I headed to the gym about between, halfway between my house and the gym. I thought my face was going to melt off. It was on fire. And, but I was scared, but I was also like, I can do anything. I walked into that gym like I owned the place. I began to have the best workout I'd ever had. I couldn't tell you who was there or what, anybody around me. I came home, Denise even noticed. She's like, why is your face so red? I think she thought I was having a heart attack. But anyway, and here's my point of that. When you truly meet Jesus, he begins to consume you. He begins to flow through your veins. And people take notice of that. He begins to change the way you think, where you go, how you talk, how you treat people because he consumes you. Do you know who or what, who Jesus was consumed with? 
Jesus was consumed with people who were far from God. That's what consumed Jesus. People who were lost. John 3, 16 says it all for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who, who should, none, none should perish but all have eternal life. And then the verse right after that says God didn't send his son into the world to condemn them but to save them. And then Jesus said this in Luke 19, 10. I came, here's why I came, to seek and save the lost. Jesus didn't say I came to start churches. I came to seek. Save the loss. Jesus was consumed with people who, for, who were far from his Father who were lost. Let's get back to John 1. Again, who was Philip found by, church? Who was Philip found by? Jesus. Now I want you to notice the first thing that Philip does after being found by Jesus. Verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. I don't even know... Sheridan, don't you laugh. You can't say it. Bethsaida. <laughs> Look at these next three words. Philip found Nathaniel. What just happened? Philip, who was found by Jesus, goes out and finds somebody else. Do you know why? Because found people find people and rescued people rescue people. Let's go on. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathanael. Who do you know that needs to be found or rescued by Jesus? Because here's the truth. We all know someone whether it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, someone at school, that coworker, So we all know someone that needs to be found by Jesus. Some of you, when I ask that question, your mind automatically went there. You knew. Here's what I know about that person that you thought of without even meeting them. They're hungry for something more. They may not say it out loud, but deep down, they know something's missing. How do you know that, Kelly? Because that was me before Jesus. That was me when Jesus found me. See, even if life is great, there's still this gnawing inside of you that says there's got to be more to life than this. Why do you think nothing in this world permanently satisfies us? I mean, we can get this and we think that's it, but then we're like, well, I've got to find something else now. So you've heard me say this before, church, and I will say it again, and it will be the mantra of this church till the day I die or till this church is no more, but you have never, ever locked eyes with someone that does not matter to the heart of God, ever. Every person you made eye contact with this past week, every person you had interaction with, good or bad, they matter to the heart of God. And guess what? We are God's plan to go and find somebody outside these four walls and let them know they matter to God also. So again, 
Who is it that you know that needs a relationship with Jesus? Third question, how? How? Well, PK, I know I need to do more, but how? We actually discussed this Monday night in our men's group a little bit, uh, uh, talking about evangelism and talking to others about Jesus. And the more I left their D group the other night, and I got to thinking about it. See, I grew up in church. I grew up here, and you need, you need to win the world. You need to win your community. You need to win that friend for Christ. And we were told what we need to do, but nobody ever told us how to do it. And I believe the church has made it a lot more complicated than it really is. It's like I said a while ago. I mean, evangelism is simply this. Something has impacted you. you, Something has changed you so much so that you want to go tell somebody else about it. But let me ask you this. Have uh, you ever got excited about something and went and told somebody and they weren't nearly as excited about it as you? It can kind of take the wind out of yourselves a little bit. Uh, I mean, have you ever gone and invite somebody to church and they immediately shut you down? Or you go to invite, tell somebody about Jesus, what he's done, they kind of immediately shut you down? Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah. Well, here's the good news. You're not alone. Because Jesus finds Philip. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And look what happens to Philip. Uh, verses 45. Philip found Nathanael, told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at Nathanael's response. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip could have gotten it. Remind me to never tell Nathanael nothing again. He's a jerk. I mean, I want you to put yourself in Nathanael's shoes. You've met Jesus. You're excited about it. You've got a friend that you know could use some change in their life. So you run off and begin to tell them about Jesus. And Nathaniel, instead of sharing your excitement, Nathaniel turns in Mr. Skeptic. Oh, really? You met a guy named Jesus, the Messiah. Where'd you say it's from? Nazareth? You and I both know nothing and no one good comes from Nazareth. Can I tell you this? There's always been skeptics. Jesus had a skeptic in his own 12. Do you remember? After he had risen from the dead and the disciples were kind of hiding out and he shows up, well, Thomas is not there. And so that when, when they see Thomas, they're like, you're not going to believe that Jesus came. And Thomas, Thomas gets a little graphic. Thomas is like, well, if I could see him. No, Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe it till I can take my finger and put it through the hole. Man, I'd have settled for just seeing him. I mean, they called him Doubting Thomas for a reason. You know what? Jesus didn't get mad at Thomas. Thomas had walked with him for three years. In fact, when Jesus just shows up, Jesus is like, hey, Thomas, remember what you said? Come here. Do it. They get mad at him. There have always been skeptics. There will always be skeptics. It's how you respond to them that makes the difference. Can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with being skeptical. 
I mean, most of us have friends or know somebody that's skeptical when it comes to church or Jesus. But let me tell you this. Their skepticism is not an opportunity to argue with them about it. Getting in a heated debate or argument never wins people to Jesus. I never saw this happen. We've got one guy telling and, and he said, man, you're stupid for believing like you do. You need Jesus. I never saw the person on the other end of that go. You're right, I am stupid. I do need Jesus. This is why I love Philip's response to Nathaniel's skepticism. Nathaniel says, can anything good come from that place? And look how Philip responds. Come and see. In other words, Philip, I don't have all the answers. In fact, if I'm being honest, this is new to me myself. But why don't you just come and check it out? See, guys, that's the very reason we do church the way we do here. That's the way we, reason we'll do dramas. We'll add secular songs. We'll do things a little bit different. Because I want, I want you, when you go and invite them, I want it to be easy. Hey, you're, I don't like church. That's okay. It's great because this place is a little different from what you've been to. Got tattoos? Great. Come on in. I'm going to tell you, we got, we got a tattoo artist that comes to this church down 9 a.m. This was a bless. This church was a blessing to them. Because now people are like, yeah, look, tattoo artists, let's go. You don't have to dress a certain way to get in this place. You don't even have to believe like we believe when you come in here. Because their whole goal is to say, come and see. Because we believe if you can get them in the presence of Jesus. See, I don't get up here and say invite people, bring people to church just so that we can talk about what a great crowd we've got. I tell you to invite those that you know need Jesus. Bring those that need Jesus. Because we actually believe if you can just get them here, Holy Spirit will do the rest of the work. Philip simply says, come and see. And guess what? Nathaniel did. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel, still a skeptic, look what he says. How do you know me? If that were today, we'd, we'd be like, you don't know me. And Jesus said, oh. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Translation, I know everything about you there is to know, and I'm still here. You may be here today, and it's not that you don't want to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe it's that you feel like your past disqualifies you from that. Or it won't allow you to come to Jesus. Maybe you believe you messed up so many times. You've made so many bad choices. There's not a good choice to make. You may have even known Jesus at one time, but choices you've made have severed that relationship. What Jesus tells Nathaniel 
is what he says to us. I know everything there is to know about you. And I still want you. I saw you where you were. I saw what you did last night. I saw what you did a year ago. Where you've been. And I still love you. And I still want you. Verse 49. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. What just happened? Think about it. Nathaniel goes from, can anything good come from Nazareth? To, you are the son of God, the Messiah. Here's what happened. Philip found Nathaniel and got Nathaniel in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus changed his life. And that's what I'm trying to do today. That's what I try to do every day. Activate you to go find somebody. Just go. Do you know what the biggest problem is with people that don't know Jesus? Because I'm here. Let me tell you. It's not that they what they believe or don't believe about marriage. It's not their political view. It's not their sexuality. It's not whether they're pro-life or not. The biggest problem with people who don't know Jesus is this: they don't know Jesus. Plain and simple. Don't make it more complicated than that. And the only way to get them to know Jesus is to get them to a place where they can meet Him. Can I take some of the stress off of you? God doesn't call you to change them. You can't change them. My dad had this saying. He said, God called me to be a fisher of men, not to clean it. It's not, in fact, I'll go a step farther. It is not our job to legislate morality. Jesus didn't do all that he did so that we could create some behavior modification program for people that don't know Christ. We can't change people, but if we can get them in front of Jesus, Jesus can change them. See, guys, we're not called to win arguments with people about things that might or may not, may or may not matter on this side of eternity. We're simply called to go and find somebody and give them an opportunity to meet Jesus. Before we go to the last final question, I want to go back to the first question. When? When did you meet Jesus? When did you come to the realization yourself that here you are, and God is over there. And there's nothing you can do to bridge the gap. That's why you need Jesus to do it. When did you come to that realization? Not, I, I, again, I'm not saying when did you pray a prayer that you were scared into praying? When did you, uh, None of that. When did you, as an individual, come to terms, I need Jesus in my life. I'm lost. Bow.